Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined tonight by Cousin Isaac. Cousin, how you doing? Good, cuz. How's how the Thanksgiving? Good time? Oof. Thanksgiving was drama-free, and we actually had it this year, unlike last year in 2020. Yeah. Um, during, you know, the kind of the height of COVID, although I think it was pretty similar this year, but feels like we're conditioned to it or something. And vaccines have helped. Vaccines have definitely helped. And we got in Thanksgiving before this next variant swoops in too hard. So that, that should be fun. Get, um, did you get all your shopping done? Shopping for, for, for like Christmas? No, did no, Black no. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Did you do I, any of that? Didn't do any of it, but it leads me into a really good segue into a point I wanted to make. Because you, my good friend, you have a birthday on December 25th, which means <laughs> that... You may share a birthday with somebody pretty famous in history. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah only probably one of the the biggest guys in history. Yeah, I, I believe so. they call him Jesus in in Espanol. Um, <laughs> but I decided because you have Christmas and your birthday on the same day, it's always very hard for a guy like you to get you two presents. You usually get like one and a half, right? Like <laughs> your brother. So I claim, yeah. <laughs> No, but my son has a birthday on December thirtieth, and it's very much like he—it's—it's it's, a—he—he he gets a—it's a one and a half sort of deal. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, but I'm going to do better this year. I'm for cousin Isaac, my my podcast co-host. Um, I'm going to get him two good gifts, and one squared away. And can I tell you what it is? But the other one, I'm going to tell you. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Um, this is exciting. It's a Telo Greca. A what? <laughs> it's a Telo Greca. I don't know what that is. So Telo Greca in Russian, it means this. It's a it's a kind of warm cotton and wool padded jacket that has a nice hoodie on it. Kind of it's it's kinda of like it's like a like a parka on steroids. Okay? Oh yeah? All right. The reason I'm gonna get this for you is February second. Oh <laughs> because on February second, yeah. yep. somehow the United States Soccer Commission, whatever they're called, decided that they were going to host for the U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifier, the Honduras team in St. <laughs> Paul, outdoors in Allianz Field. Whew. So I do not want you to freeze to death. So for that reason, I'm <laughs> going to get you a Telo Greca. Well, that's amazing. I will need it. Um, I'm excited for that game, but I do think my excitement will not keep me warm enough. So I appreciate that you're you're uh, you're thinking about me there. Are you getting yourself one so you stay warm as well? Because you know, if I'm going to be there, I'm going to drag you with me. I'm pretty sure that Honduras is just going to forfeit. Like, why the hell <laughs> would you drag your team, you know, up up to the north central, you know, United States and play a game in early February in an outdoor stadium when you're basically on the on the on the on the equator? I mean, are, are, are we sure it's even an advantage for, like, our players? It's not like our players play in, in like, what, blizzard-ready weather either, so. Well, that's a fair point. I think that, you know, we have players from all over the country, but I'm sure of this. Like, when you grow up in Central America or Northern South America, like, traveling to, like, towards one of the poles in the winter seasons is not a good thing. So, yeah. anyhow, you put in... Uh, I believe that you you uh it's it's a it's an auction sort of deal, right? Yeah, they like yeah, it's like a drawing and you get put in a different group based on I think your uh, how many years you've been like a season ticket holder with Minnesota United. So, I'm unfortunately in a in a later group than I'd like to be, but still hoping I'll I'll get something. So, plus yeah, maybe we'll just get really fancy seats. Um cuz I kind of reverse tiered it. So, you know, I'm hoping to be back in the supporters section where, where we normally are. But um, there's, there's a chance we could pay like $500 a ticket and have a luxury suite. How do you feel about that? Well, to watch the U.S. men's national team in person, which I still cannot figure out why. Like, I, I, I understand, like, giving us a game because, yeah. you know, um, all the other ones are apparently hosted in Ohio, which... Yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, and I, and I, and I want to see them in person. I just, I don't know if I want to see them in early February. Um, 
you know you can't say no. I gotta, I'm gonna drag you there. I'm gonna stop at your house and pull you out of your house with whatever you're wearing. So you better have one of those Russian jackets or whatever they're called because we're going, man. Telo Greca. Telo Greca. All right. All right. Let's, let's get back on topic here. Huh? Yeah. Well, we are on topic. All right. So yeah, tonight, Timberwolves and Byron Buxton. Those are our two segments. We're starting with the Wolves. Isaac, do we have a good team? count tonight they had a run of 10 games where they won seven seven out of ten and five of those seven wins they they held their opponent under 100 points which is kind of the number one point i wanted to bring up right off the bat where the heck did this defense come from like previous years the defense was non-existent we were like last in the league basically horrible awful we blood points like it didn't matter how good we were on offense our defense was atrocious but so far this year, we're like ninth in the league in defensive rating. Craziness. Um, we're holding a, opponent's field goal percentage to eighth best in the league, three-point percentage to second best in the league, and then we're also top 10 in steals and blocks. Like, So obviously, like something has changed big time on defense. We have a, we're hustling. We're, we're, we're closing out to three-point shooters as we're holding them to like the second worst shooting percentage in the league. Um. And it's keeping us in games because you look at the other side of the ball, which is the side I would have expected to be, you know, the, the side that's winning us games. And we're doing pretty bad, you know, to say it bluntly. Like, we're, we're 20th in the league which in offensive rating, which isn't horrible. But, you know, I would have thought it to be reversed, like our offense to be top 10 and our defense to be maybe, you know, holding on towards the bottom of the league. And um, our field goal percentage is 27th in the league. So, like, we're not doing good things on offense, really. Like, it's our defense that's keeping us in these games and the defense that's leading to our offense. But when we're playing in the half court and trying to create offense, it really hasn't been our go-to thing, which I would say is also very encouraging because it's, we're 500 with our offense not rolling on all cylinders. I'll start with defense. I'll start with defense. So, you know, coming into the year, most of the pundits, you know, that watched the Timberwolves finish 16 and 20 last year in, in Chris Finch's um, reign, I want to say we were 500 in the last 22, right? I want to say I we so. were 11 and 11. I think like so. the yep. team was getting healthier and they they started to understand his system. And so I think a lot of what we were seeing last year is what we've begun to see this year, except for the fact that the point that you made earlier on is that like the rankings are flipped. And I want to, you know, if listen to any like preseason Timberwolves podcast or show or, you know, Valley Sports North commentators, and they were saying, you know, if this team can be 20th in defense, we're probably a playoff contender because this team is really a juggernaut offensively. And that has not been the case. And so your point, like, at one point, like two games ago, we were fifth in defense, which also speaks like we're at the point in the year where it's still a relatively small sample size. So a couple of games can really shuffle yeah. you up and down the, you know, the rankings, you know, um, three, four, five, six spots. But the point is like, we're much better on defense than anybody expected us to be. So w what accounts for that? And I think it starts with mentality, like, and, and the idea that, that we're a team and the leadership and, you know, towns is in better shape and, the, the rotations with Finch, you know, you think about who are the best, the team's best defenders. And I, I, I'm not going to rank them in order, but I think the top four are um, definitely Patrick Beverly, who's a, who's a tone setter. Yeah. So having a tone setter, I think, is really important. Then you got Jade McDaniels, um, Jared um, Vanderbilt, and uh, Josh Hokogi, who hasn't seen much playing time recently. But the combination of those four guys with you know, any of our other offensive players in rotations. And it seems like we've always got at least one perimeter guy and one um, frontline guy that is good defensively, if not two. And mm -hmm. so then you combine good defensive players in like well-balanced rotations with a mentality that every night we're going to bring it on every possession. And, for me, that seems to be the biggest thing because we are like in a lot of games, like we're outsized. Oh yeah. And yet, you know, these guys are like they're flying around, they're scrambling, and like 
it's a chance taking defense, but I think they recover really well, especially on three pointers. Yeah. Yeah. You've definitely seen that to this point. Um, but I mean that the size piece we, we continue to struggle in. Like, I think it's, it's interesting because in offensive rebounds, we're actually second in the league. So, I mean, Finch is having the guys crash hard on the offensive board. And I think a lot of that speaks to Vando and, and Cat. I mean, Vando's up to like almost eight rebounds a game with, in his like 22 minutes he plays. So we're, we're doing good on that end, but we're, we rank 28th, um, close to last in, uh, defensive rebounds. So we're still struggling to rebound the ball big time. Um, and, and it's, like you said, it's pretty easy to tell. Like every game we go into, we're undersized every game. So they're, they're hustling. They're doing well on defense, but we still have a, an issue of allowing way too many rebounds. Um, and sometimes that can even trickle into just a lot of points in the paint, which is what hurts us. And kind of where the games we've lost, that's kind of been our big like red flag, right? It's like sometimes our, our interior defense gets a little lazy. You know, when I think that the one thing that this defense has going for it is that they have length. Um, they have a lot of guys in the rotation that are subbing in and out. So you have fresh energy. Yeah. And again, it goes back to leadership and about buy-in and like guys, like every possession are contesting, you know, even when like they make a bad decision on defense, like somebody's rotating over and they are putting a hand on the ball almost every single time. But I think strategically, one of the things that I've been most impressed by is that on the pick and roll defense, you know, Towns is showing really high, almost mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, creating a trap and defensive, you know, the, the, the offensive strategy against that has been to get the guy, the ball to the roll man and we switch over to him. And then it's like, they're trying to take advantage of the three point shots in the corner and we, but we're closing really hard. And with guys as long and as athletic as Jared Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels in particular, and then, you know, mm-hmm. Patrick Beverly, like their ability to, to, to close out on the corner three. And even if they swap it back to the top of the key, I heard a stat today that said that we are, we have, we're giving up more like um, elbow three pointers than any team in the league. And we're holding them to 30% um, from the elbow, which means yeah. that we are, we are acknowledging that we want you to take that shot. And we're also going to close out on it hard because um, if you want to play pick and roll offense against us, great. We're going to allow you to get that pass into the into the paint, and then pass into the corner. That's been the most impressive thing is that this this defense has committed to every single possession, and with t- a team that has D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Malik Beasley, and you know Anthony Edwards is a bit of an unknown on defense. He's still young enough that we're not sure who he might become. Like that just surprises me. So I think that goes back to coaching, and I think that goes back to the, the those pace setters in, in in Beverly, and then yeah, no, and just a cool note I heard earlier from a podcast. Uh, I think it was Dane Moore's um, when he talked with his buddy Britt. Um, was when Patrick Beverly came in here, he kind of had each player like say in front of the coach what his role is, like explain explain to us what your role is. And so I think that's like something that's been a little different this year too, is I think players have a role and they, they know what it is and they've, you know, they've like spoken it to the, to the coach. And so just to have someone like Bev come in, not only be a tone setter on the court, but it sounds like he's doing other things off the court that are getting everyone on the same page and bought into whatever the system is that they have built and they're pushing forward and playing, you know, pretty good basketball with. Yeah, that's what Finch needs. Finch, you know, I, I, any good coach, you know, and, and we talked about this um, in our last podcast about the quarterback being an extension, you know, of the head coach or the offensive coordinator. It's the same way here. Like yeah. Finch has not known as being a um, defensive stalwart, but clearly he understands personnel and he understands systems. And if you bring in the right guys, that can be an an extension of you on the court. It can make all the difference in the world. And, you know, Rubio, because again, you know, Beverly basically replaced Rubio as our backup point guard, although he's being used in different ways than just a backup point guard. Like his ability, as you're saying, 
to connect with the other players on the team, a veteran that's been in winning teams and I don't want not championship teams, but nearly championship teams and a guy that knows what it takes to get over the top of the hill. And I think we've missed that since he's been hurt. He's been out what now, four mm-hmm. or five games. Yeah. And you know, you just don't see the same brand of, of Timberwolves basketball, especially on the defensive end. Yeah. I mean, he's still like, he's still that extension of the coach on the bench though, which is cool to see. I mean, just in the game we watched tonight, like he's constantly talking to his players, constantly talking to people on the court. Like, here's where you should be. Here's what you should be doing. Like, here's how you learn from this. So it's not like, I mean, yeah, he's, he's not setting that tone on the court, but he's still like that leader that I think they've been missing that vocal leader um in the locker room whereas you know Delo is also a vocal leader but I think he's a different different type whereas Pat Bev's kind of like that you know no nonsense leader like this this is what we got to do to get it you know to get to get the job done yeah I mean you speak to the no nonsense part of it and you got to have guys that both want to win and know how to and like Delo. You know, I, I, back in eighteen nineteen, he played for that Nets team that that made the playoffs. But other than that, you know, that's just, they were what they were in. They they overachieved, but they were out in the first round. And this Timberwolves yeah. team, there's nobody on this team that has ever been beyond the first round in the playoffs. And I I think that we can't um, undersell how important it is to bring in a veteran that also still has game left, but who's also got a lot of the intangibles behind the scenes. Um. But another guy, Isaac, that I think that is becoming an emotional leader of this team, the emotional leader of this team, is a guy in his second year who just turned 20 years old in August, and that's Anthony Edwards. And so, Isaac, as we hit the quarter point in the season, 23 games in now, what's been most impressive to you about Anthony Edwards' emergence as a leader on this team? Yeah, I mean, I just love that he's like extended his run from the end of the year last year. Like he's he's really turned into this player that's kind of a go-to guy. Um, now he's still he's still young. He still has some some points where he kind of falls off and he's not quite leading the team where he needs to be. But he he'll always have a stretch here and there where he kind of puts the team on his back or he's got you know possible dunk of the year or he just makes a stretch of plays and it's not necessarily just on offense like he'll make some big steals that lead to a fast break point or um he's in there bullying um getting rebounds um which i think is awesome to see like there's i think there's been probably a, a couple games so far where he's had more rebounds than cats had so he's active like he's he's not just he's not just sitting around waiting for a shot like he's He's playing defense um, in this unit and grabbing rebounds, and then he's also doing it on the offensive side. Um, so, yeah, I mean, right now he's running 22 points, 6.5 boards, 3.5 assists um, on 43, 35, 77% shooting, which if you look at, like, his stretch at the end of the year last year, it's pretty close. Um, his field goal percentage was just a little bit better at the end um, of the year last year, but... He's he's been electrifying, and it's it's cool to see the national media finally kind of recognize it because like you and I were seeing it last year, and Minnesota fans were seeing it last year at the end of the year, but no one else was really like noticing yet because I mean the Wolves weren't really playing for anything at that point, anyways. Um, so it's hard to say maybe you know the competition wasn't as good or teams were kind of taking those nights off against us. Um, but early in the year this year, he's 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 keeping it going, and I mean, there's there's people that are tuning in to the Wolves just to watch Anthony Edwards because he's kind of got that big play home run factor that whenever he has the ball, it's like, what is he going to do? Like, what's going to be the electrifying play that just makes the crowd erupt? And it's not even like the home crowd. Like, he had a huge dunk in the Nets game tonight that the whole, like, Brooklyn crowd, like, went crazy for so it's like this guy's this guy's like he's unnoticed. Yeah, I think as you think about the career arc of a guy that comes into the league, you know, with tremendous athleticism out of Georgia in 2020, you know, in the first year of the pandemic and he ends up finishing second in rookie of the year voting to um uh LaMelo. 
right? And, you know, mm-hmm. it, the voting in the end wasn't very close, but I think that had more to do with the fact that he started last year, you know, tremendously inefficient and the Wolves were, I want to say when we let go of Ryan Saunders shortly before the All-Star break, we were 7-24. and 24. And teams yeah. that are losing three and a half times the number of games that they've won just aren't going to get attention. And the cool thing this year is that, so we started out a little bit poorly, but then, you know, we ripped off, what, seven wins in eight games. We've now lost two straight. And we beat some good teams along the way mm-hmm. on national television. And so, you know, the plays that he's making are um, magnified by the microscope under which he is in under. And so... And, you know, it, just guys coming up, it takes a little bit of time, I think, for the national media and for the national audience to sort of be like, okay, okay, this is this is who he is. But, you know, you, you turn on a podcast, you listen to ESPN, or you watch ESPN, you listen to people talking about the Timberwolves that have only watched them on League Pass, and he's the it factor, you know? He's the ticket. Mm-hmm. He is He's our new big ticket. Um, and he is a reason to tune in, if you can figure out a way in Minnesota to tune in with Valley Sports North. Um, but <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> but there's a, so there's a couple of things that I think about, Ann, in terms of, like, you know, freshman to sophomore emergence, this is what I wanted, right? He's, he's a little bit more of a leader. He's bigger. He's stronger. Um, he's shooting 35% from three, as you said. Like, his numbers are pretty much on par where he finished the year last year, and he's making – you know, a lot of good plays on defense and spectacular plays in transition. So what's the margin for him to improve is the question that I have. And I still think that like the point that I made in our season preview is that he's relying, he's, he's averaging, and I know this is the modern game, but 8.73 pointers per game. And, you know, I, I, I um, read a stat today that of the, there's a there's 44 players in the league that have attempted 125 three pointers or more. Um, four of those are based, and there's 44 of them, and four of them are Timberwolves: Beasley, Cat, Ant, and D'Lo. And at 35%, Ant is just below, like he's in the high 20s or, or in the low 30s, I want to say. Um, and it's like okay, but what is Ant's quintessential skill? Outside of transition basketball, if in the in the half court offense where the Timberwolves are currently ranked 26th in terms of offensive efficiency, as you noted earlier, which is our our Achilles heel, what is Ant's quintessential skill? Driving in the lane, getting to the cup, being physical. Okay, so Ant's quintessential skill is driving to the lane, getting to the cup, being physical. What is Cat's quintessential skill in the half court offense? Most things. <laughs> Right, but I mean, he's such a skilled big man. Like, pretty much the only thing he can't do is bully a center down low. But I mean, he can post up, make buckets. He's got a great three point shot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Is there is there a specific is there a specific answer you're looking for there? I mean, the two questions. Number one, could he even bully Kyle Kuzma? You know, well, on Wednesday night, I feel, I feel like he did. I mean, he put up over thirty points that game. Yeah, we had five, I think, well, it, we don't need to get into the details. Um, <laughs> I, I, in the first half, he was really struggling. And, you know, it, yeah, he was. Yep. The the Clippers kind of set the tone early on that you don't need to throw a big at him until he gets mm-hmm. low enough in the paint. If you're going to get him touches in the paint and then you throw a second body at him. Um, but I would say that Cat's quintessential skill as an offensive player is his shooting, whether he's a big yeah. man or not. Right. And so, like, why are we not running more plays that are designed for Ant to get downhill in the half court and for Cat to get more three-point touches in the half court? And he's, I think he's third among our big three in three-point attempts. He's also third in our, no, he's fourth, Cat is. And by the way, Cat is shooting um, 44% from long range this year, which is his career high. Um, he's third in the league among people that have taken 125 three-pointers or more. He's also third in the league in true shooting percentage. So it's just like, why are we not maximizing? Like, clearly, like, this offense is about volume three-point shooting, which is kind of strange because our three-point shooting is actually down. We're third in the league this year in three-point attempts, 
and we're 21st in three-point accuracy. So that I think that'll turn a little bit. Like eventually, like D'Lo's down. He's in the low 30s. Um, he's also under 40% from the field at large. Uh, Beasley's down. Prince is a little bit down. You know, Towns is the only one that's shooting above his normal three-point threshold. I think eventually like that you could argue that this is actually an upshot because we're 500 and we're not shooting the ball well from three. And yet that seems to be what we're doing the most of. Um, but a lot of people have made this point. Why not more pick and roll with D'Lo and Towns and with Bees, with um, Ant and Towns? I mean, it's a perfectly good question. I don't know, I don't know if it's a player's thing that they're just not running what the coaches say or if the coaches just haven't figured that out yet. But that definitely seems the most dangerous to me. I mean, especially an ant, an ant cat pick and roll. That seems like damn near unstoppable to me. Like, like what what are you going to do? You're going to double ant off the pick and roll. Well, then you got cat wide open or, you know, you got like, so yeah, I mean, I wish I had an answer to that. I would love to get inside Finch's head and see why there isn't more of pick and roll. But I also think, not to like go back to what we were talking about before, but um, I think defense has been a huge priority to start the year. So I just think he's Finch has expected the offense to kind of work its way out as the year goes on. And if we can win games defensively first, then we're in, we're set up good for once our offense finally gets clicking because it's bound to click at some point, right? We're not going to be shooting this poorly. Delo is not going to be shooting his career lows the whole season. Like the rest of the players probably aren't going to be shooting their career lows from three point for the whole season. Like it's going to uptick in our favor at some point. Yeah, that's a that's a salient point, Isaac. Because last year, you know, he came in mid season and he didn't have the time, the off season, players healthy enough for him to instill a defensive system that would work. And he has this year. Like the guys outside of the last few weeks with Towns out tonight, and you know Pat Bev being out. Um, for a week and a half now or so, like he's had the opportunity to work with them. And so you're right. He is instilling the defense. And if he's spending his energy and the team is spending their energy and making sure that we are strong on that side of the ball, especially early in the year in order for us to develop good habits, I commend him because you're right. Like, I think this team is skilled enough offensively that eventually we're going to figure out through scheme and through, um, uh, just kind of the players knowing each other that this, this the offensive rating is going to tick up pretty significantly, I would expect. We're just too good to not, you know, we're 1.8 points per game worse on offense this year than we, than we were last year, and we're 8.4 points per game better on defense. That's the story. That's the story yeah. of the year. And so um, I do think, though, that, like, you know, we have – we're playing offense at a high pace. We're we're trying to get in transition every time we can. We're shooting a lot of three pointers. Um, and so even though we're not making as many, the fact that we're playing at such a high pace, I think that allows us to make up some of that, that ground. But the one team in the league that is playing or that runs less pick and rolls than the Timberwolves do is the only team is the Warriors who have one of the best offenses in the league. And I think that Finch's offense is a lot about flow. And the problem with pick and roll offense is that you're pretty much getting, I mean, unless you're running sets off the pick and roll, it's like a two man game. And so I think it takes away a little bit from his offensive juju. But I think that eventually, especially at certain points of the game, like if this is our strong suit where you can isolate two guys and they are really good offensively at things that work really well in the pick and roll. He's going to need to be a little bit Belchekian and begin to move this offense to a degree to the things that his players are better at. And if he Mm -hmm. hasn't done that yet because he's expending the team's energy on being solid defensively, I give him a pass. But that's Mm -hmm. not going to work the whole year. Like eventually, like this team is going to need to play better offensively. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd like to see first um, on the offensive side just to see us like do better in kind of the the clutch moments down the stretch of the game. Because it seems like right now it's like a lot of iso ball. And you can even hear like in Finch's like pressers after the game, like he hates the iso ball. He he doesn't he doesn't want it. He thinks it ruins the flow of the game. 
like players have to keep passing the ball around and that sort of stuff. And like, I wonder if that's a, if that's a player issue then if, if he's openly saying it and maybe like, yeah, why aren't we seeing more of that pick and roll down the stretch of the game instead of just straight ISO ball? Um, now that being, now that being said, um, we have had a player, even though he's been pretty, you know, pretty bad shooting wise for the year so far. And D'Lo has been decently clutch um, down the stretch here for us in some games. And I think, do you have any stats on that by chance? Um, I have a stat from NBA.com. Which is? He's one of 19 players who's attempted at least 200 clutch shots over the last four seasons and has the best clutch effective field goal percentage at 54.3 among those 19 guys. How's that for a stat? That's that's damn good. All right. Yeah. So that that's what's what's the time frame on that? Uh back to eighteen nineteen. So his last year with the Nets, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So I mean it might be frustrating to watch Delo try and play hero ball down the stretch, but from that stat, it sure seems like he might be the guy that you'd want to play hero ball down the stretch, huh? I don't know. <laughs> the numbers okay, so this is where like I'm so hot and cold on D'Lo. Like you watch the <laughs> Philadelphia game and you're like, God damn, like 35 points and just ice in his veins. You know, he's walking down the yeah. court. He's talking to that Philly crowd. Like he owns them. Like who does that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yet I think that that's one of the, this one of the, so I think, you know, our defense is probably going to dip a bit because it's not that we're, I mean, we're, the mentality is there. The effort is there. I think some of the strategies, especially with us being small ball, um, Washington exploited this on Wednesday. I think Atlanta will in our next game. There's only so much you can do to combat the fact that we're undersized. But I think we're still going to be a little bit better than what we anticipated early on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the offensive issues you know, in the pick and roll in, in the half court that's another big sign to me. That's another red flag for me that we need to sort out. The third thing, like the guys sorting themselves out into a proper order. And I think that our issues in the last five minutes and in particular in the last two minutes, these have kind of been persistent the entire year. Like, like who's taking the big shot at the end of the game or something or well, whose who's time is it? Who's running the offense? Like, and I don't think that you can really have a closer by committee in the NBA. Tonight we saw it with the Nets. And granted, you know, James Harden isn't the player that he was, and he's still working himself into shape. But there was no doubt in my mind in the last eight possessions, they got the ball to Kevin Durant every time. Every time. Yeah. And he scored like five different times. And like it, he was the difference between the Nets winning and losing tonight because of that. And so yeah. on the Wolves, it's like one night, you know, in Milwaukee. Ant takes the shot, although D'Lo tried to get the ball from him as he was about to make his run to the rim. Um, and Ant was like, no, I'm, I'm good. And then, you know, you're in Philadelphia and it's D'Lo. And like, I, I think it's okay for you to have multiple options down the stretch, but I think you also need to have a definite sense of the hierarchy. So like, if you have the guy that's your one, he's like, okay, you know, sometimes he's not going to take that final shot, but it's going to be his decision not to take it. And this team, it's more like, okay, it's your turn tonight. And then tomorrow night, it's your turn. And then tomorrow night, it's your turn. That's one problem. And then the last problem is that Finch needs to get out of the mindset that he's in Belgium or Germany or England or the G League. Okay? Where, like, in the last five minutes of an NBA basketball game, it's not about passing. I mean, it it largely, for most teams, unless you're an exceptionally egalitarian team like the Warriors, you got to have a guy that you can run your offense through. And then sometimes it's hero ball, you know, not for 48 minutes, but maybe from 43 to 48 minutes. And that's the part that I think that he needs to embrace. And that's Edwards. And maybe it's Edwards and Towns. I don't, I don't know if I completely agree though. Cause like we've seen some of that with Edwards and some of those possessions don't, don't go anywhere. I mean, it depends on the game because some games he's just on fire and you just can't stop him. But the games he doesn't have it going he really doesn't have it going. And so if you expect him to play hero ball when he doesn't have it going, we're not going to score any buckets. So I think like, 
I mean, you have to have a hero to play hero ball. You, you can't just play hero ball just because the rest of the NBA is playing hero ball, which is where I struggle. And I think, like, why change up our game plan? Yeah, I know the defense kind of gets tighter towards the end of the game for the opposing team, so it's harder to run maybe the same offense you've been doing the whole game. Because then we're gonna get we're gonna get some nights that are extremely disappointing, and then we're gonna get other nights that are great. But it'd be nice if we just had that like, you know, more of a consistent play instead of the the huge upswings like and downswings. You know what? I here's the thing. Like you're right. D'Lo is the better option this year. I mean, if you want more consistency down the stretch, because surprisingly, like he is a pretty clutch player. Um, yeah. We could get into his game by game field goal attempts. If you looked at like his overall production offensively, if we were looking at him as a fantasy player, like in fantasy football, he booms like one time for every two or three times that he busts in terms of offensive production. <laughs> he does. Like I was, I went through Is his Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Well, Tyreek <laughs> Hill this year. Um, so you're probably right for this year. Like, and D'Lo actually has, I think he's evolved. Um, and, but part of it is that Cat's giving him space. Cat's giving both him and Ant space. But a big problem this year, Isaac, is that Cat is fourth in this team in three pointers attempted, and he's averaging forty four. Or he he's shooting forty four percent from three. He's third in the team in shots taken per game, and he's third in the league in true shooting percentage. And so there's a little bit of this tension, I think, even though they're good friends between Cat and D'Lo. Throughout the game and then down the stretch, I think the tension is between D'Lo and Ant. Because I think Cat knows he's not a guy that can facilitate offense. He's a guy that can yeah. be part of the offense and that can make open shots. And so in my mind, you think about long-term, the big picture here. I'm just not sure that D'Lo has a, has, has a role. I, you know, I... At all? As at... As, as, I mean, Ant's like... Six, 65 to 70% who he probably will become as an NBA player. And I think you got to get out of his way and let him take over this franchise. Like there's a reason why these people are tuning in and you're right. We're probably going to lose three out of every five games if we allow him to do this. But if we finish 37 and 45 this year, number one, that'll be the over according to Las Vegas odds preseason. <laughs> so uh, you'll win that bet. Which I said to go with. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and number two, it's like we're not going to win the NBA Finals anyway. It'd be nice yeah. for us. I think even at 37 wins, we probably have an outside shot of making the play-in tournament in the West because the West is down. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? What's your take on the West? Well, that's just it. Like, the West is either injured or teams have come out of the gate just, like, a lot worse than people thought they were going to be. I mean, everyone's kind of gridlocked around the, what? So everyone's, oh, even even closer yet. It's 4 through 11, basically, are separated by, what, three games? No, one, 4 through 10 are separated by a game and a half. So, I mean, er, everything's stuck right in there. Nuggets have dropped off. They've had injuries, and they've had a player they paid a lot of money who... uh Appears to might be a head case or something. Um, the Spurs are, you know, they they don't really have a a great team, but normally they're always competing. They're down. Um, Lakers are, you know, what were they favorites coming into the year or close to it? I and there's yeah, according to Las Vegas, I I don't think well, they, that's all. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying your personal opinion, but um, and they're sixth right now. I mean, they're just trying to stay at 500, and they've looked pretty bad so i mean i if anything if we can keep this defense up if our offense can find any kind of groove like to me this is the year unless there's some huge swings that happen to these other teams like this is the year if we want to make the playoffs and we have room to make the playoffs like we got to take advantage yeah you're right the west is down like it's the sun warriors jazz and the jazz are a good regular season team and then it's yep. it, it from there four through you could say probably ten as you said early on like the Grizzlies they're still young I I don't trust them the Mavericks are a one trick pony with Doncic although it's a really good pony the Lakers are old <laughs> but they still you know you know LeBron and, and AD you know can they stay healthy 
Can AD make a shot? Kawhi's <laughs> gone for the Clippers. The Trailblazers are the Trailblazers. Like we know who they are. Like they're, um, and then it's us and the Nuggets and the Nuggets without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Like I don't see the Kings, Spurs, Pelicans, Rockets, or Thunder. They're not better than the Timberwolves. Um, the Nuggets, yeah. there's they're still they have that like deep run playoff pedigree and they've got Jokic. So I wouldn't count them yeah. out. But like the Timberwolves, unless we face injuries, and this is one of the big things that we haven't talked about yet, but last year, uh, I want to say in one of our final pods recapping the Timberwolves season, you know, we talked so much about, you know, Beasley and D'Lo and Ant um, and Cat being on the court together. And maybe was, I think you made the point that five games all of last year, they played together. And this year, up until Cat went down tonight, like, just tonight, yeah. Yeah, I know Pat Bev's been out, but um, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've, we've pretty been, much. We've been. Daniels has been out a little bit with an illness here, but yeah. But the big four. I mean, if you count Beasley right. as the, yeah, yeah. If, in terms of the big four, like they've been really healthy. So I think if if we stay healthy, um, this team is definitely uh, going to be in the mix for the play-in tournament. And I think that you know, there's a chance if they can make a couple more of these, like seven wins and eight game runs that, you know, the anything up to the four seed at this point is open. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't see us getting that, that far up there, but it's just crazy to think that like that's within like grasp. <laughs> well, <laughs> remember a Jimmy Butler led team just three years ago had the wolves in third in the West before he got hurt in January of 2000. And I want to say 18, the 17, 18 season. And that was with a, a, a roster that I would say was less talented than this one. Although I think, you know, he's a more grizz, he was a more grizzled veteran at that point than I think anybody we have right now. Pat Bev. Well, and yeah, and we had more veterans on the team too. So they just, I mean, they kind of knew how to win, even if they were less talented. Sort of deal. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like the Taj Gibsons of the world, Derrick Rose. Yeah, yeah, the Tibbs guy. Tibbs is old Chicago Bulls team. Timberwolves, yep. Timberwolves. So, well, you know, <laughs> let's finish off on this with Finch. Let's talk a little bit about him before we move to break, and then have a short segment on the on the Byron Buxton contract. Um, you know, I'm pretty happy with the hire. I got to say, like, feels nice to not have to have a guy in the sideline that kind of knows what he's doing. Right. Yeah. It seems like we actually have a coach who who kind of makes changes based on actually what's happening in the game versus it just like being calculated or. I don't know. <laughs> it does. It seems so nice to have a have an actual coach, and it's it's kind of weird how he's how he's figuring out his rotations. I know he got a little bit of a little bit of crap for uh, like he started the year with like an eleven man rotation. And they're like, oh, that doesn't work in the NBA. But I think he was just trying to figure out, you know, who who are who's who his guys are going to be. Like, who's going to be the guys that are going to really get the the heavy minutes because he's not running the eleven man rotation anymore. So um, it's kind of cool to see him. I mean, D'Lo is normally the first guy out, right? I know that didn't happen tonight for the Nets game because we were short cat, but normally D'Lo is the first guy out, and then he's the first one back in with uh, the second team to kind of carry that team along. Um, and just, like, utilizing his energy players in the right spot, so the Vandos, the Kogis, the McDaniels, like, utilizing those players right, and I think, like, mostly keeping them like their minutes spread out so that they always have an energy guy in there at all times to keep the, you know, keep the intensity up. No, he's been, he's been wonderful. I, I want to give him a full year to fully, you know, kind of feel him out. And I, like no one should write him off before this full year goes through. And he actually has a year to instill his system and do basketball the way he wants to do it. Well, that's a ringing endorsement, Isaac. I mean, I, again, I think your caveat is like, we're 22 games in and he only had a half season last year. And last year, you know, it was to put anything together was a, was a miracle. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, after, um, a coach like Ryan Saunders, who just seemed like it, he wasn't ready. Yeah. It was just an over his head. He was in yeah. over his head and to have a guy on the sidelines that's seen so much basketball over the years. And I think that basketball has taught him, a lot about how to respond to adversity. So one of the things that I, I think that 
I think this team, even if we face, you know, an injury or two to one of our big players, I think that we're going to be in a pretty good position because as we saw in that um, Indiana game, I believe, like, you know, he pieced together a lineup and we beat them largely through stops down the stretch. And defense is something that I think can transcend, a, you know, and can like carry you through the doldrums of, of January when you're down a guy or two, when, you know, you're in the middle of the season and you're playing a game on the road against a team that maybe you shouldn't be beating, but like the, the stops on the defensive end are going to keep you in it. And in the modern NBA, like with the, the volume three point shooting, like some nights you're not going to have it, but the nights you do, if you can get stops, like you're going to win those games. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I see this, I see, you know, I see a lot of Rosas in, in, in the coach and this roster and that man is gone. That man is gone. So well, that's kind of like a, a, a thing that a lot, a lot of people are saying was that it's kind of, cool to see finch get like his go right now without rosas because rosas had such a tight grip on everything that you know it's it's possible finch couldn't have done things he the way he truly wanted to do them um if rosas was still in the building you mean like even though he was the coach of the team rosas may have been influencing how he ran his club the way that people think that you know falvey and levine Art really have, you know, Baldelli handcuffed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that. And then there's the idea, too, that, I mean, the players love this guy. He's definitely a player's coach. Um, just like, it, you know, Delo's 100% bought in from everywhere I've heard, like, and I've legitimately heard this exact statement, is Delo would run through a brick wall, a brick wall for Finch, which... If you're gonna have D'Lo on your team, if you're gonna have any like any form of D'Lo, you want to bot in D'Lo. Yeah, that's a fair point. Oh. That's a fair point. If like, you know, Saunders was a player's coach too, but the difference yeah. is is that he didn't know how to win a basketball game. <laughs> and so, like, what I think the difference is with Finch is that guys like like him for reasons that are about winning basketball. And I think he's also willing to hold players accountable. He'll pull you from a lineup. Or even if you're not accustomed to playing with a lineup, if you got to go in that night, he's going to let you go, you know, and, and get yeah. eight, ten more minutes maybe than you normally do. And, you know, he's not he's not pandering to the players, but they still like him. And so he's got – that's kind of a, a really tricky combination as a leader to be both respected and liked by the people that you're leading. And yeah. Saunders was liked. I'm not sure he was respected. Yeah. Um, well, with that, Isaac, I think we've, uh, um, exhausted our Timberwolves talk tonight. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why the Minnesota twins signed Byron Buxton to a seven year, hundred million dollar contract. Okay, and we're back from break, and Isaac, as promised, we are going to talk the Twins and Byron Buxton. Um, seven years, $100 million, lots of incentives. Guy hasn't played, guy's averaged 70 games played per year for the last seven years. <laughs> How are you feeling about this? Honestly, I, I feel... More towards good than bad, for sure. Um, it's it's not amazing, especially with uh, that number you pull out. Um, the fact that he's only played over 100 games once is concerning. But I think we have to look at as well, like, when he actually is on the field, I mean, he's, he's, he's MVP caliber. So it's it's the the whole thing of like yeah it's it's a gamble, um, because he's not on the field that much. But if he can be on the field, he's going to be worth every penny of that contract. And so, <laughs> I don't know who we have for trainers for the Twins, but it's time that they earn their money. And uh, between that and his uh, coaching staff or whoever tells him how to field the ball. Um, maybe he needs to wear like gloves with uh, more protection on them when he's in the batter's box. So when he gets beaned on the hand, he doesn't fracture his hand or anything. Um, just put the guy in a bubble. 
Okay, so Isaac, who won, who, who won the contract? The Twins or Byron Buxton? I mean, based off his actual like stats, probably Byron Buxton. But I think it's kind of... I think it's kind of a... I don't know. I think it's kind of a win-win for both, honestly. Okay. How so? Um, I mean, he just like he he is like he, like I already said, he is an MVP caliber player when he's on the field. Like he's basically a Gold Glove center fielder. Um, and I mean, if he hits like he like he did last year, he batted 300, 19 home runs, thirty two RBIs, and sixty one games. Um, again, sixty one games. That's kind of alarming. Um, and I shouldn't say kind of. That's very alarming. But if if we can find a way to keep him on the the field for just even a hundred games, I think that that contract's worth it. It's, he's not the the highest paid outfielder in the game. Like it's not like he he could have. I mean, they they said supposedly he could have got paid twenty million plus if he went elsewhere. Supposedly. So if you take that into context, like it's a decent deal because he's getting paid the hundred million he was seeking for, and he can get, he can get paid more based on him being the player he thinks he is. So he's really trusting himself to prove that he's that player, but he's also kind of, you know, giving us, I'd say a little bit of a, of a deal to stay with the home team. You know, I, when I first saw it, seven years, a hundred million, and then, you know, like all the incentives that he can earn, like I was, my, First thought went back to Jose Barrios. And we traded Nelson Cruz, you know, at 41 years old to the Tampa Bay Devil or the Tampa Bay Rays. Sorry. My mind, my mind is still stuck in 2006. Um, <laughs> and we traded Jose Barrios to, or as you call him, Barrios, to the Toronto Blue Jays <laughs> for a couple of prospects. And, you know, we'll see what comes of that. And, we wouldn't give Barrios 22, 23 million a year. And, you know, Isaac, you are a financial analyst, right? I am. So what's 100 divided by seven? Like, let's just assume no, is that no incentives? Uh, like, what is it? 15? Close okay. to it. Yeah. So, like, when he's on the field, Buxton makes this team 20% better because. The way that he plays center, he if, if he's healthy, he's probably the best center fielder in all of baseball. And he's good on the base paths, right? And, you know, his swing, I wouldn't get too transfixed with what we saw last year in the um, 61 games that he did play. Like, Byron Buxton can be your 306 hitter with 19 home runs and 32 RBIs. But he can also be a guy that bats 240 and has stretches where he swings at balls all the time that are outside of the strike zone. Like he's not, he's not a Ted Williams, you know. No, but are we sure he's not getting better at that? I mean, that's something that you can you can improve at as you know you stay in the league. You you can get more discipline at the plate, and he showed it last year. Well, he showed it for like a third of the season, but. My point is, it, it, you're, that's a good question. Like, can you get better over time at hitting the baseball in the major leagues? Yes, you can. The problem with him is that his sample size is so disjointed that when you look at, like, year to year, you, you don't really know what you're looking at, right? Because no. it's like 209, 225, 253, 156, 262, 254, 306. But those batting averages are you know, alongside of games played that are all over the place, 40, 60, 60, 80, 120. And so I don't know. I don't think he's a piece. Well, wouldn't that, wouldn't that almost be more impressive then? How so? He's never had a long stretch of, of being at the plate, getting in a gr- real groove. He's always getting in, getting out, getting in, getting out. And he's still able to hit at least 250 most years. I'll go back to the beginning part of your statement. He's never had a long stretch at the plate where he's been able to get into a groove because he's never had a long stretch at the plate. <laughs> and so like, I don't like he's honestly like, uh, I, I, I had a podcast. We had a podcast this summer with, um, my, 
with John Alexander, and he said that his war, like one point of war in baseball, is worth eight million. And so, if he plays half a season for you, and he's making fifteen million, like all these contracts in baseball, which is why baseball is now locked out. By the way, I don't know if you read the commissioner's letter to Major League fans that came out, but like. <laughs> These, I mean, Major League Baseball contracts, Isaac, are like out of this freaking world. Like mm-hmm. ten years, three hundred and fifty million, and it's like, oh, yeah. and it's like, why is the sport that is having the hardest time maintaining fans giving the most years and the most money to their players? Like, it makes total sense to me why there would be either a lockout or a strike. Probably not a strike because the players are like, come on. <laughs> Yeah. The cash is rolling in. <laughs> and yet this contract is – okay. The long and short of it, Isaac, this contract is fair. Seven years, $100 million for Byron Buxton, even if he plays 80 games, I think is fair. And the fact – it, it kind of reminds me of what P.J. Fleck did with the University of Minnesota. Like two players at the table that understood what the dynamics were, what the circumstances were in terms of the negotiation – and it's a contract that I think represents what both sides understand. So mm. I'm actually okay with it. Contrary to what my text messages might have led you to believe. I was going to say, you've come a long ways. Okay. <laughs> now the incentives. So talk to us a little bit about the incentives and then how you feel about them. Yeah. So he's got an MVP bonus, um, which it looks like if he wins the MVP, he gets $8 million. If he's second in voting, it's seven million, third, six million, and then that goes all the way down to sixth through tenth in voting. He gets three million. Um, so that's one of them. And then the other one is based on plate appearances, which <laughs> talking with you already about this is kind of laughable. But uh, he gets five hundred thousand for hitting each benchmark of plate appearances, which those start at five hundred two is the first benchmark. So I'm going to start with a comment on that one. Um, he's never had more than 462 at-bats. or Yeah, so plate appearances. He's had 5'11", though. So he's one time he's hit that bonus mark. And so the chances of him hitting that, based on history, are pretty close to nil. But I think that's the hope is that, like... Hold on. Throwing the... Hold on. What? You just said nil. Are, is our audience accustomed to European soccer? <laughs> well, they better start. <laughs> this sounds like Ted Lasso. Sorry, nil equals zero. Well, I am watching Ted Lasso, so maybe that's why I have the lingo right now. My apologies, fans. Zero. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, one time he's had 511 plate appearances. Otherwise, before anything, any other year, his highest is 331. So I think that's a play at, like, hey, like, we need you to play more games. We need you to be at the plate. Like, here's some, you know, some money. 500000 is probably not a lot when you look at the contract in total. Um, but I don't mind that because, I mean, for Polad, he's probably not going to pay that out based on Buxton's history. Um, the MVP bonus... I guess it's kind of going to go with the plate appearances. If he has those plate appearances up above 500, I think he'll be right there in voting. Um, but previously, the highest he's been is 16th in voting. That was just in 2020. And I think, you know, his other really good year in 2017 where he actually had over 500 plate appearances, he was 18th in MVP voting. So I think, I mean... If he plays as well as he did last year with the right amount of plate appearances, he could start seeing some of these bonuses. But outside of that, I think those bonuses aren't really going to be reached, you know, unless he stays healthy. I, I think it's it's reasonable. It's It sets a goal for him to try and achieve it, but we haven't seen him really hit those marks yet. So it's, it's, it's up there, right? It's not going to be easily attained. Okay, so I have two questions for you. Number one, even if he's healthy for 162 games, do you think he can achieve those plate appearances with Rocco Baldelli? <laughs> sure. I mean, he had 230, he had 250 plate appearances last year through 60 games. So if he plays all 100, 
162 games. Yeah, he'll achieve it. Yeah. But he's got to stay healthy, right? So here's the, that's the, my other question. Like, why did, so, you know, I think that we, we are looking at this as a fan's perspective. And so naturally, like, we kind of assume the perspective of the team. Why did Byron sign? I mean, he's got to be, he's got to want to be here to some degree, right? I mean, I, I honestly, if, if he was in it for money, I don't, he wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be here one bit. So I, th- I think it's a bit of, there's, there's a, a belief in this organization in him, even though he maybe hasn't contributed as much as, you know, they thought he would. I think there's still a belief behind him. And maybe because of that belief and the way we've embraced him, he was willing to take a little bit of a pay cut and bet on himself. Bingo. Or no, 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 no. Isaac, like that, Isaac, you, you hit the jackpot right there. Bingo. <laughs> like this is the beauty of this contract is that if he does not perform or if he continues to be the Byron Buxton that we've known, we're just going to be like, okay, meh, right? We're not going to be like this yeah. antagonistic second half Joe Maurer of his career making $23 <laughs> million a year and not earning half of it. So if, 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 if he stays the same, which is a pretty low bar in terms of his overall production considering his injuries, I think this fan base is still going to kind of see Byron for who he is. But if Byron performs to the level that this contract implies that he may be able to and that he's betting on himself to do it's the kind of contract that sets him up to become a like a, a hero in twins history yeah you know because he's basically ha- he has to earn the money that he's given as opposed to you know a few good years and then you're given a contract that you can't live up to so the good thing for Byron, and it's really interesting, I thought a lot about this, is that like he really can't bottom out from this. Like I think it, it'll be pretty much close to what it is already, which is like, man, I wish Byron would do better. But I, you know, it's not like, man, I wish Joe Maurer would freaking bat higher than 260 making $23 million a year. Or <laughs> it's a guy that's like, man, Byron Buxton, you know, like what a deal. And the yeah. money that he's making through incentives. And so it, it, it's a fascinating contract um, yeah. that came through just before the baseball lockout. Um, and it's really interesting, like the MVP things, like that's not unprecedented to see that, you know, if you finish this place in the MVP voting, you get this money. But the plate appearances, man, what a bet on health. <laughs> Especially, especially a guy that's made of glass. Yeah, well, you know, I guess we could move him to DH, but then you're going to lose all the production that he brings to the team in terms of, you know, base running and, and defense. So well, that's just it. I mean, he's so valuable. Even if he bats like around 250 or even slightly below, he's still so valuable because he takes away runs in the outfield. Isaac, I see you petting your cat. Does that mean that this podcast <laughs> is coming to an end? Uh, she won't leave me alone, so she kept meowing. I figured if I just held her, then she would at least not enter the sound of the podcast. Okay, so, um, <laughs> you know, final thoughts. Like, could we have spent this money elsewhere, and would that have been more benefit to the franchise? Yeah, possibly. I mean, we could have... We could have spent it on Barrios, right? His contract's a little bit more. But um, I think the question with him was always, did he actually want to be here? Which I I think you can't really ask that question about Buxton when he signs the contract that he does. So I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can bring in the same type of skill for that price. I've been trying to ask you, what does Crystal think? <laughs> Your cat. <laughs> I think she thinks that she's she's about ready for this podcast to be over. I don't know. She's she wants something. Don't use her as an excuse, Isaac. If you want it to be <laughs> over, just tell me, you know, and I'll let you kick us out. <laughs> I'm ready when you are, cuz. All right, Isaac. Well, if you would do us the honors, including Crystal, 
Um, please take us out. <laughs> well, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, we'll try to sneak another pod in here before Christmas. And um, enjoy your uh, your early December here and stay safe out there. <laughs>